0: Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bizarre. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU Bill Gaten College of Pharmacy. It is a beautiful October 26th day in uh, in 2023. We have a lot to talk about with last weekend's um, European Society of Medical Oncology (ESMO) 2023. Uh, let's get right into it. There's a lot here to talk about, so I'm going to have to be a little bit more superficial than I would like to be, but I don't want this podcast to be an hour and a half. So I'm going to start with some updated information uh, on Keynote 671, which we talked about uh, last week or or maybe sometime in the last month. This is neoadjuvant and adjuvant, which we're going to say perioperative, so on both sides of the uh, operation, um, for Pembrolizumab plus chemo in the neoadjuvant setting and then adjuvant pembrolizumab for resectable non-small cell lung cancer. Again, resectability somewhat. The beauty is in the of the beholder there with the fitness of the patient and the disease. What we knew is that Keynote 671 showed event-free survival compared to just neoadjuvant chemo. What we didn't know and what we do now know is there was a reported improvement in overall survival uh, at, at ESMO 21. And what I think is really, you know, this is something that, the, the, you know, the key opinion leaders are saying is practice changing uh, for these folks. Um, unfortunately, there are still going to be some people who go down this pathway that don't have the response they need and are not resectable and then miss out on the potential for definitive chemoradiation and um, chemotherapy. What is really, you know, fascinating about this is that the um, the overall survival curves separate larger as time goes on so what i'm going to give you here are overall survival rates for the the pembrolizumab arm versus the placebo arm at two three and four years at two years it's 79 percent versus 74.7 percent 71.3 versus 64 at three years then at four years it's 67.1 versus 51.5 the delta the difference between those two goes from two to three to four years from 4.3 to 73 to 15.6% as an absolute improvement for your overall survival. Um, you know, of course, in the publication, you would expect to see a lot of the placebo group getting uh, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor, um, uh, and maybe, um, you know, we're learning that certainly giving them upfront uh, is better for these folks. The uh, benefit was, uh, or as far as biomarkers go, pdl one a tumor proportion score was enriching with a hazard ratio of 0.55 at greater than 50 percent pdl1 expression 0.69 at 1.49 and then 0.91 uh, at less than one so the more pdl1 the better in this regimen which is something that that we all knew now we have uh, also at, at um at esmo was checkmate 717 this is the nivolumab version of the same study uh, showed event-free survival not yet showing overall survival there was a GN. And if it's named after a body of water, like Danube or Caspian or Aegean, you know it's a Dervalumab study. Um, Very similarly designed study, perioperative Dervalumab for resectable non-small cell lung cancer, showing uh, improvement in event-free survival. Uh, The overall survival in their, this is published in the New England Journal of Medicine as well, their, um, their hierarchical analysis, so overall survival was a secondary endpoint, and it's not a secondary endpoint, it's a fifth endpoint because that's fifth in the hierarchical testing. So if all the other things become significant, then they'll formally test overall survival. Um, test overall survival first, people? Come on. All right. So that's kind of the perioperative chemo and uh, perioperative uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor. Sorry, perioperative immune checkpoint inhibitor with neoadjuvant chemo and non-small cell lung cancer. Sticking with the non-small cell lung cancer theme, um, there was a um, some some good studies this year uh, at ASMO. you know if you, if you think back to what is the if you did a word cloud of what is talked about on this podcast it's nivolumab it's pembrolizumab and it's single arm studies leading to um approvals of targeted therapies with only response rate data so we now have some comparisons so we have um uh papillon which is amivatinib plus chemo um versus chemo alone in non-small cell lung cancer with exon 20 insertion. So these are mutations in exon 20. We know that if you have an activating mutation, uh, like an exon 19 and 21, that can lead to constitutive activation of EGFR. These are insertions in exon 20 that actually change the conformation so that the TKI cannot get in there. So our OC don't work very well in exon 20 uh, insertion mutated non-small cell lung cancer. So amyvantinib is a, a monoclonal antibody that uh, if you again do the Y analogy, uh, if you stand up and put your left and right arm in the air, spread apart, the left arm uh, is an EGFR targeting um, type, and then the right arm is MET targeting, and so this allows um, to obviously inhibit ligands from binding to EGFR. It also prevents the, uh, the receptor from from being internalized, and uh, can also you know be a, a target for the immune system. Um, we, um, you know, we know that EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer doesn't respond to immune checkpoint inhibitors. And amivatinib had been approved, um, you know, uh, in the past um, in the second line setting. And this is looking at amivatinib plus traditional chemo versus chemo in the first line setting. Now, these patients could get it, could have received an EGFR TKI, but uh, if it didn't work, then they could get randomized to either amivatinib plus, you know, traditional um traditional chemotherapy, um, or um, just chemotherapy. So, you know, the majority of these patients were Asian. 60% were Asian. Uh, they were almost all adenocarcinomas, as you might expect, for an EGFR-mutated disease. We see, you know, drastic improvement in progression-free survival um, with a hazard ratio of 0.4, um, with a kind interval of 0.3 to 0.53. Median PFS 6.7 versus 11.4. The curve separates fairly early for PFS and continue to separate even wider and wider Uh, response rate, 73% response rate in the amivatinib chemo arm. Very impressive compared to just 47% with chemotherapy. Overall survival hazard ratio is trending towards significance in favor of amivatinib. And that is despite 71 people, which is about half, 45% of those in the chemo arm, Getting amyvatinib as second line, and we start to see those OS curves separate after about a year. Um, I think with longer follow-up, I, I, I suspect we will see overall survival dip benefit. So we, you know, we have a new standard of care that does um, that does, uh, you know, certainly appear to improve the care for these folks with exon twenty insertion mutations. We had we have known that selpercat. To uh, is effective in RET fusion positive non-small cell lung cancer. and had traditionally been given to patients after they had um, after they had received uh, chemotherapy. Now in RET fusion non-small cell lung cancer, it's it's actually unknown if there's benefit of immune checkpoint inhibitors. So this study was looking at um, uh, advanced, so 3B, 3C, or stage four non-squamous. So these were all non-squamous non-small cell lung cancer getting the first line treatment um, with um, uh, getting treatment. Now originally they had, they had set up the study to be one-to-one, selpercatinib versus chemo. But as data came out for selpercatinib, they changed the randomization to two-to-one because if you're a patient going on the study and you know you have a retfusion um, cancer or non-small cell lung cancer, if it's a one-to-one ratio, you got a 50-50 chance of getting the drug we think is better. With the two-to-one randomization, now your odds go to to 66.7%. And so maybe you're able to to accrue patients a a bit faster there. So this was um, a a fairly large study. We've got um, uh, 159 people in the cell arm and 100 in the control arm. Uh, It was up to the investigators to decide if they would give an immune checkpoint inhibitor or not in the intent-to-treat analysis. Um, What we see here is... uh, A sizable benefit in uh, progression-free survival. I'll give you the hazard ratios for the PEMBRO population, those who got an immune checkpoint inhibitor, and the overall population. It's 0.46 versus 0.48. Both of those are significant. Impressive improvements in PFS. uh, Impressive uh, response rates of 84% versus 65%. Those numbers are about the same whether they got an immune checkpoint inhibitor or not. Suggesting there's probably not a lot of added benefit to the immune checkpoint inhibitor uh, in this patient population. Uh, you know, we, we, we kind of get the toxicity that we, that we are used to with this. Um, we have this, you know, significant improvement in PFS, um, OS, uh, not there yet, but I, I think we're looking at a new standard of care here as well, of catNib. Um, uh, and it's good that we have this comparison study to know that. I think many of us would have thought that, uh, now we are, are thinking that is the case. Cell uh, Parkin have also had a study in advanced RET mutant medullary thyroid cancer. So I think of thyroid cancer in kind of three tiers. You've got you've got the the, the papillary, the differentiated thyroid cancer. Those folks do fine typically with uh, radioactive iodine. It, it, it's it's kind of like hormone positive breast cancer that's only in the bone when it's advanced. And then you've got uh, on the far end of the spectrum, the anaplastic thyroid cancer, which is very aggressive. doesn't respond to, to much of anything, even systemic chemo. It's kind of like breast cancer in the brain. And medullary thyroid cancer is in the middle. It's kind of like metastatic breast cancer that has visceral disease. And this is selpercatinib versus either cabozantinib or vendetinib, which would have been the standard of care. Now, um, interestingly, most of these folks end up eating cabozantinib because of a vendetinib shortage. Uh, Most of the folks here, um, almost two-thirds, had the uh, M918 RET mutation. These are RET mutations, not RET fusions, which is what we saw in the selpercatinib non-small cell lung cancer. So even though we're talking about the same drug and, quote, RET positive disease, that RET positivity is different in non-small cell lung cancer where RET is fused with a gene rearrangement, here we're talking about mutations to RET itself, point mutation. So our PFS hazard ratio here, uh, is zero point two eight, strongly in favor of selpercatinib versus, uh, you know, cabozantinib or um, or vendetinib Response rate of seventy percent versus forty percent, uh, very large difference here. Overall survival not yet significant, but but trending in that direction with longer follow-up. So again, another new standard of care here for RET mutant medullary thyroid cancer. A lot of lot of stuff to talk about here. All right, so now we're in a bit of a transition part of the podcast. So. We're still going to talk about immune checkpoint inhibitors, but we're now going to talk about uh, cancers of the gastric and uh, the gastroesophageal junction, adenocarcinomas. Now, there is a study, Keynote 585, that is taking the same playbook of of using immune checkpoint inhibitors early in non-small cell lung cancer. So what we knew, say, a year ago at this time is that neoadjuvant immune checkpoint inhibitors plus chemo compared to chemo alone in non-small cell lung cancer increased... Uh, and improved pathologic complete response rate. So you cut the cancer out, boom, no cancer there in the cells, wonderful to see, okay? And if there's no cancer in the tumor population that was cut out, there's a good chance that we've also killed everything uh, that may have spread and that should then translate to event-free survival and hopefully overall survival. So Keynote 585 was perioperative, so new adjuvant, then adjuvant, pembrolizumab, and adenos of the gastroesophageal junction or gastric, in, uh, sadis- t- statistically significant improvement in pathologic free survival. So the, the these drugs are now, you know, they're taking over non-small cell lung cancer, they're going for other cancers, all right? So that's keynote 585. Keynote 859 is the metastatic setting. So this is pembrolizumab plus chemo versus placebo plus chemo and HER2 negative metastatic or advanced gastric cancer. So these are all adenocarcinomas uh, they were all HER2 negative, and um, the um, this is not a full FOX chemo backbone, this is cisplatin and then the four-day infusion of 5-FU. This showed a significant improvement in overall survival, which was the intent to treat population, which was everybody, but of course, uh, similar to what we saw with nivolumab plus chemo in this patient population. Most of the benefit, some would argue all of the benefit, is in the high PDL1 expression, which is, in this study is the PDL1 composite proportion score of greater than 10, which was 280 patients out of a total of 790. And you can see that the, the hazard ratios in the entire population um, is 0.78, which is statistically significant. The hazard ratio in the CPS PDL1 above 1% is 0.74, so we're getting lower. And the hazard ratio, and these are for overall survival for the CPS PDL1 greater than 10 or equal to 10, is 0.65, so quite a bit better. Now, of course, when you are looking at everybody, you are looking at a few folks who are negative, a lot of folks who are PDL1 positive, and then a sizable number who are strongly PDL1 positive. And if you are new to the podcast, then this analogy will be new to you, but between Michael Jordan and I, Combined, we have won six NBA Finals MVP awards in six tries. We are great. In this scenario, I'm PDL1 negative, adeno of the gastric or GE junction, uh, and Michael Jordan is the PDL1 high expressor, right? So that's a nest, an example of a nested analysis. Um, interestingly, and I think wisely, NCCN, our favorite, you know, all the guidelines, they have different grades of recommendations for this patient population, metastatic or advanced adeno, uh, gastric GE junction um, with a, for example, it's a category 1 recommendation, CPS above 5 or 5 for nivolumab. It's 2B if it's less than that. Um, and Pembro currently is 2A and 2B based on CPS of 10 as a cut point. So not exactly what the, um, the FDA label is uh, and will be, I assume, for Pembrolizumab. Okay. Now, probably the highlight of the conference, if you follow social media, and um, I, I know that, that folks are, are leaving Twitter in, in, in their X in droves, um, but you can still search Twitter for hashtag Esmo23 and see people taking pictures there and see people posting videos. And the videos you see are people giving a stand ovation for the, uh, I think it's A39, Keynote A39 slash EV302. So the Pembro folks had to name this Keynote A39. The Infortimab-Vidone folks had to name it EV302. They couldn't compromise and have one name. We have to have two names for studies. Jeez. This is in plus Pembro versus chemo um, in advanced urothelial cancer, bladder cancer. Um, we've talked about this previously as well because this was a press release study and my questions after the press release when they said this improves overall survival, I said, "What?" I was skeptical. What I kind of expected to see from this study is yes, if you look in the whole cohort, it improved overall survival, but if you look at the subgroup, that benefit was only in the carboplatin patient population. And I wondered, you know, these folks are not getting a maintenance, which is standard of care now after, um, after a few cycles of platinum-based chemo. Um, the, the, the entire group had a median overall survival benefit of 31.5 months with Enfortumab, Vidotin, and Pembro, compared to 16 months with platinum-based chemo, um, that's a big difference. That's a that's a doubling. You know, that's a really impressive overall survival improvement. The cat curves separate, uh, you know, somewhat quickly and broadly, and continue to grow over time. Those curves look very similar for cisplatin eligible, who got cis, and those who didn't. And the 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 benefit um, was preserved in those who were cisplatin eligible, presum- meaning they did not get cisplatin. Is the inference there? Um, so even if the folks getting chemo loan got maintenance of velumab, I do, not think, I, I do not think it would have made a difference. We still would have seen this overall survival benefit favoring Fortumab, Vidotin, plus Pembro. It may not have been as pronounced, but it still would have been there. Now, as we've talked about previously, a lot of rash with this regimen combining two drugs that cause rash. Um, that it's going to require um, uh, you know, a lot of attention in, in the community. Um, but everyone's talking about new standard of care, um, you know, there to me there maybe is a question and we have assumed this in the past and there's, there's evidence of this like in the renal cell carcinoma literature where we assume that if you do EV plus PEMBRO and then chemo that's better than the reverse and that may or may not be the case um, because hopefully these patients will, uh, will, uh, will live and have second line uh, treatment option but, but this clearly is gonna be uh, the new standard of care for these folks uh, going forward you would have to think. Um, now, you know the meme of the guy with his girlfriend and he's ignoring his girlfriend and then looking back at something else? So, the looking back at the different girl was EV302. The, the girlfriend that's being shunned is Checkmate901, which is Nivolumab plus Gemsys in advanced bladder cancer. Um, had this, had had Checkmate901 come out a year ago, it would have been the talk of the town because Nivolumab plus Gemsys was able to show... A statistically significant improvement in overall survival compared to GemSys, which Pembro and chemo couldn't do, a Plus chemo couldn't do. The only overall survival we saw with chemo was a maintenance. This is upfront Nevo with chemo beating GemSys. Um, the, the article makes an interesting distinction, citing one study uh, about why Nevo was, was better in this study. Um, and they're, they're not saying it's that Nevo was better, they're saying that they used the checkmate Hibbert just with cisplatin and that cisplatin uh, actually is somehow more immunogenic and causes um, you know, maybe upregulation of PD-L1, for example, and that leads to the benefit here. Now, this study is um, really a footnote now, probably, in, um, in the treatment of, of what we have for, um, uh, for uh, advanced urethral carcinoma, where you're going to see more and more people now getting first-line EV pembro um, instead of uh, checkpoint inhibitor plus chemotherapy, Um, and then you'll get uh, presumably chemotherapy in the in the second line setting that does raise again a sequencing example as people age and their renal function goes down if they are cisplatin eligible they're probably more likely to be able to tolerate that in the first line setting than in the second line setting as they age they're likely to continue to be cisplatin eligible is going to go down Uh, food for thought Uh, sticking with the theme here of targeted therapy Versus chemotherapy, uh, we're going to stick with urothelial carcinoma. This is Thor cohort one. This is erdafitinib or chemo in advanced um, metastatic urothelial carcinoma. Now, this is these patients all had one or two previous lines of treatment. You could do erdafitinib, you know, in the second line. But the time this study was done, you probably would have done, you know, a couple lines of chemo and then erdafitinib if you had an EGFR alteration. Alteration is pretty nonspecific. It could be an FGFR mutation, or it could be an FGFR fusion. So just when we say things like FGFR positive, there's usually more nuance to what that positive means. In this case, it is a couple, uh, couple like four very specific mutations and uh, about five specific FGFR um, fusion proteins. Um, so most of these folks, I think two-thirds, as I flip through the notes, had um, received two lines of previous therapy and a third, roughly, had received one line of th- previous therapy. We do see a significant improvement in progression-free survival favoring erdafitinib. Um, our, our PFS hazard ratio is 0.64, uh, 95% CI, confidence intervals, 0.47 to 0.88. Looks good. The curves separate. Um, we're not seeing, um, you know, our overall survival curve presented here. Um, in the folks that got chemo, only 10 of the 130 end up getting a subsequent FGFR inhibitor. And only 13 got in fortimab so um, if it does show overall survival uh, benefit here compared to chemo, uh, you know, eventually, um, oh no, we do have a significantly longer overall survival in the study. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I was reading the, the PFS date I gave you of a hazard ratio of 0.64 is the overall survival date. I'm getting confused with so many notes from this. But who can blame me? So much happened at ESMO. So, uh, now, this is in, you know, this is in, after one or previous lines of therapy, these folks were probably already getting erdafitinib. Still probably don't know what we're going to do with these folks in the, you know, in the first line setting uh, for metastatic carcinoma. But certainly if you're FGFR mutated, you have, you have more options here because you have these FGFR inhibitors. Um, not a whole lot more to say uh, about that. Uh, we're we're kind of winding down here. There was a uh, they call a phase 3 study, but it's got a relatively small number of patients for a phase 3 study, and that's because it is a, a very highly selected patient population. Um, metastatic uh, colorectal cancer that is chemorefractory, so they've had their, their full theory, they've had their full FOX, and they have the KRAS G12C mutation. And this is looking at satoracib uh, at two at a low dose and a high dose, um, plus pentumab versus either... Uh, uh, trifluoridine to Piritrexil, I'm going to call it TriTip, um, or uh, Regorafenin. Now, our comparison here was appropriate at the time the study was designed. Now, the pre- appropriate comparison based on the sunlight study would be TriTip plus Bevacizumab, um, and this is uh, what's the name of the study? I don't know. Code Break 300 uh, is the name of the study. All right, so this is Sotorasib plus Pembrolizumab, Sotorasib. Being that KRAS-G12C inhibitor, which is going to be inside the cell, and then Panitumab is going to bind up that pathway outside the cell at, uh, and, uh, at the EGFR receptor. Now, Panitumab or Cetuximab is a no-no to give as monotherapy for folks with kras RAS mutations. In this case, the idea is you're inhibiting two parts of this pathway, and by blocking the KRAS mutation inside, you stop that constitutive activation, and then you stop any, and maybe you can then sensitize the cell to blocking egfr with panachemab outside the cell. Uh, We previously, um, you know, would have considered giving sotoracib, sotorasib, or adagracib for these patient populations. We do see a statistically significant improvement in PFS um, in this study um, for both dose levels compared to the standard of care. So it's certainly an active regimen. The overall survival curves that you can see um, in the supplement are preliminary and maturing. it looks like, if I had to guess, that there might be an OS benefit in time in the high-dose satoracid group, but with um, sort of a small magnitude of impact. You know, it, you kind of have to squint to see the differences between the curves. Now, those those are going to change as more and more people, unfortunately, um, progress and pass away uh, on these regimens. But another treatment option for these folks, for KRAS G12C mutated colorectal cancer. And then this was not an ESMO um, thing, but it it was something that was published in JCO this week uh, about um, the negative impact of bendamustine prior to um, mobilizing and apheresine folks for CAR T. Um, And this was uh, a relatively uh, large study, and they were looking at patients um, who uh, had uh, needed to get CAR T for the lymphoma and got bendamustine. Uh, First, they found a negative impact, and they went back and looked more, and they did a bunch of um, you know, regression analysis, and they, they took out the variates and, ch- you know, found a model that ultimately showed if you received in these patients, within nine months before apheresis going to CAR-T, you had um, a lower response rate, 40% versus 72% with CAR-T, and these, these were commercially available CAR-T. This wasn't, these weren't people on study, I don't think. Shorter PFS, 1.3 versus 6.2 months, and then a shorter overall survival, 4.6 versus 23.5 months. So, pretty large impact here. And, and you know, this is a retrospective study, so retrospective studies should make us go, hmm. And, you know, there are only patients less than nine months of phoresis who got benthamizing 42. So, small numbers, retrospective data, but compelling enough, I think, that. Um, you know, if you can try to avoid bendamustine in folks that you think might need to go on to get CAR T, we certainly have other options. We have lots of options for our, these lymphoma patients. Uh, we have a, lots of traditional chemotherapy options. Okay, so that is what I have from an ESMO and bendamustine uh, wrap up. Uh, oh, one last one last ESMO study to talk about. This is uh, uh, the Gynecologic Oncology Group 3047. If I'm if I'm looking reading my notes right, that's a GOG study plus key and it's got two names, so GOG3047, Keno818, so you know that this is a pembrolizumab study. This is advanced cervical cancer, but not metastatic. These are the folks that we can cure with um, weekly cisplatin and chemoradiation. And this is pembrolizumab plus cisRT versus cisRT. Two-year PFS benefit here, 67%. 67.8 versus 57.3. That's a pretty sizable impact. A delta of about 10%. That is statistically significant. OS maturing uh, would expect to see that hopefully in the next year. So we might have a new center of care on our hands uh, for uh, advanced cervical cancer as well. Again, the immune checkpoint numbers moving further and further forward in the lines of treatment. Um, and we've seen that in the past confer, you know, a change in the natural history of disease and how far people live first with metastatic melanoma and then with non-small, then with non-small cell lung cancer. Really, really revolutionary class of drugs. That is now what I have for you uh, this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow me on X at dignib and follow the podcast at Uncle Farm Pod on XThreads and Instagram. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.